Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to DA Rockstars. This week is a special episode, as you guys know, with the current climate, with the COVID-19. Uh, we are going to push out as much information that's relevant to the dental assistant and to all the things that we need to be thinking about or knowing about. And Jules and Linda Harvey are on the show and they talk about, oh man, so many pearls. Um, PPE uh, standards for universal precaution and updating, you know, your continued education to uh, reflect current standards. Anyways, a lot of pearls in here. I hope you guys enjoy. Have you heard of Zen Supplies? I'm sure if this is not your first episode, you have indeed heard of Zen Supplies. I want you guys to take advantage of this time. Whether you can be in the office with a rotated schedule, this is the time to go through your inventory. Find out what you have, what you don't have, what's expired. Do a cost analysis. See if Zen Supplies can help you start to maintain and organize your inventory in a much more efficient way, knowing exactly what you have with a click of the button and um, help to reduce cost for overhead for your dentist. I mean, this is Rockstar, guys. So go check them out, www.zensupplies.com. Well, hello, dental assistant Rockstars. I hope everybody is doing wonderful on this fabulous day today in light of our situation. Today I have with me Linda Harvey, and she is from the Institute of Dental Compliance and Risk Management. Her company was founded in 2014. Am I yes. correct, Linda? Yes. Yes. And she provides credentialing for you as an assistant in OSHA, HIPAA, and um, what other is the other one? OSHA and HIPAA? Risk, ma risk management. Risk management. So Linda, tell us a little bit about your company. Great. Thank you, Julie. I'm happy to be here with you this morning. This is actually my second company. I've been in dentistry for a very long time, uh, and I also consult and speak in the areas of OSHA, HIPAA, and risk management um, to dental practices remotely and on site. And about 10 years ago, I recognized the need to develop talent in our industry, compliance talent, so we could actually know and understand the requirements of OSHA and HIPAA and what be in the area of risk management to support our doctors and their practices. And and now in light of COVID-19, we can see how critical it is to even really understand more than ever what the OSHA standards, the bloodborne pathogen standard in particular, is requiring of us to be safe. And keep our patients safe. Yes, and keep, keep everybody safe. safe. I mean, exactly. from the time they walk into the, your practice to the time they leave your practice, it, it should be safety first. Oh, for everybody all the way around, because when you have a a safe, clean, you know, disinfected or sterile, whatever the, the situation is, whether it's instruments or, or equipment, everyone, every, it's a win-win for patients and for staff and for the doctor and the reputation and growth of the practice. So it's, it's like, it's an actually a marketing side to this that we don't always think about. We're always thinking about right. promoting ourselves on social media regarding what services we provide, but this is the heart and soul of a practice is how clean and how clean is the environment. Right. And I always think that you should be able to eat off your surface. I mean, <laughs> I you'd want to, not that you should. Not that we but should, but yeah. Yes. I mean, if you had to eat off your surface in the event of a t catastrophe, you should be able to eat off that surface because you have practiced the best methods that are out there. Um, what can you tell a dental assistant in light of all this going on with the COVID-19? What steps can they take to prepare their office? So if they're shut down, if they're not shut down, what can we do as dental assistants to help those that maybe don't know? 
where should we Perfect. start? Let's talk about any offices that have not shut down yet. Right. Although that, that right. number of offices that are shutting down, and by that we're, we're describing the fact that they're not doing elective care and they're only seeing emergency patients. But if you're not shut down and you still are winding up your practice and your doctor's trying to decide what to do and you're still working, please be sure that you follow the OSHA Bloodborne Pathogen Standard and the CDC guidelines for protecting yourself first because OSHA is all about employees, even though right. safety is for everybody with the CDC. And when we talk about what the personal protective equipment, PPE is that you should be wearing, it should be that scrub jacket or disposable gown 100% of the time when you are with that patient. I know we get hot, the temperature, the temperature is one of the two, two big things that are always at war at in our office. It's too hot, I can't wear the jacket. Oh, absolutely. And I understand, I'm a former hygienist, so I get it too. And before that, I did some dental assisting way long time ago while I was in school. So I have great appreciation for you know, the specialties and area that you all have, Julie. But that being said, we just have to protect ourselves. So mm -hmm. sitting there, you know, with leaning over the patient, the aerosols from the doctor's high-speed handpiece are coming right up into your face and onto your body. So the second right. thing is having the proper eyewear, knowing that your prescription glasses alone are not approved for OSHA eyewear. You have to have some right. side shields or you're wearing goggles. And then on top of that, there's so many times when I'm doing a mock inspection, I bet you've seen it too, Julie. Yes. You glance over into the room and there's somebody, dental assistant or hygienist, and the mask is not fully covering the nose, the bridge of the nose and tucked up under the glasses like it's supposed to be. Right. And so we're exposing ourselves. And so I understand, again, it's too hot. I can't breathe. But there are, up until now, when we've had a shortage, <laughs> there's been so many different varieties of masks and glasses and styles that we can choose from so that once we get through this shortage, begin to look at those again, but we just don't have any other choice. And, and they do, and that's a good point to make is because often I hear in forums that the dental assistant is just giving one mask to wear, one type of glove to wear. We should be fitting these properly to each face mm -hmm. and their space. So, you know, what I wear is I wear, I wear contacts, but the safety glasses I wear, they might not fit your face and properly protect exactly. you. So we should be custom fitting our masks, our gloves, you know, and our goggles for in, in our lab coats for the, the proper fit. Exactly. That's exactly what, and when you look at uh, the bloodborne pathogen definition of PPE, it talks about it, it uses the word appropriate. It's appropriate. So it has to cover your, your work clothes, your street clothes, your skin, your eyes, mouth, because remember, it, so it has to be appropriate for everyone and everybody's body. We're all different. Everybody is different. Right. <laughs> And they are. And when you talk about, there's always that thing about your scrubs and what is um, considered your PPE in, in accordance to scrubs and your lab coat. What is the dentist technically responsible for to provide you with, to wash or care for you with? This is always a big to do. Or, you know, do you wear your scrubs home? Is that street clothes? Is it, you know, your lab coat? What does that include for dental assistants to know? We, that, that, the first part of that is going to be a gray area, Julie, because when we think about what we're actually protecting, you know, we're wearing a scrub jacket. We all know that it's really not covering our lap or our shoes, you know, so and, the, and our knee, from the knees down or thighs down. So that's an area that we haven't really addressed as thoroughly as we should be in dentistry. So let's at least talk about from the lap up. But the uh, federal law, the OSHA Bloodborne Pathogen Standard, does state that employers must furnish and maintain the appropriate PPE for their staff. So the doctor is responsible for, if it's a scrub jacket that's laundry, has to be laundered, it has to be laundered by the practice. Either it goes out to a professional laundry or it's laundered in-house. 
a dental assistant cannot take, or dental hygienist cannot take a bag, red bag of laundry to the laundromat. Right. It can be sent out, but we're not responsible for carrying that out. So if it's done in-house, then obviously we all have to pull together and kind of have laundry duty, if you will. Right. <laughs> and help benefit. That's a fact of life that we have um, laundry. If we have a laundry in-house, we have to all be sure that we are pitching in and helping and it's a joint responsibility. Right. If, the law, if it's disposable gowns, then obviously it's easier to make that distinction. It goes into the red bag and you're done with it every day. At this time, we're only changing the scrub jacket or the disposable gown on a daily basis unless it becomes visibly soiled. That okay. standard may change going forward, not, maybe not so much from the OSHA side, but it may be changed from the CDC as more guidelines are, are studied or the situation is studied more in depth and more guidelines are formulated to say, yes, you do need to have the 95 mask or maybe our mask manufacturers now will be changing some of their standards for manufacturing. There's, there's things that'll come out of this in two to five years that we really don't know right now. Well, and it's only to better provide safety for us and our patients. I mean, we can't always stay status quo, right? Because right, things exactly. are always evolving, especially now amidst the COVID-19. Now, you mentioned N95 mask. What is the difference? Can you tell our dental assistants? They may not understand the difference between a level three, level two, level one, and the N95. What is the difference that they need to know about and why it's important that when they make these recommendations that we follow them? Okay, great. So OSHA doesn't tell us what level mask we have to take um, specifically, but what they say is, you know, the, the definition talks about being appropriate. So when you think about it being appropriate, um, it has, OSHA defers to other organizations and agencies that are testing the different types of equipment that we use. So ASTM is the American Society for Testing and Materials. They are an international standards organization. They have tested the different masks on the market and they have rated them to have a level one, level two, and level three. And each different level has a very slightly but important difference as far as the filtration and the efficacy level, um, so with the level three being the highest for spray and splatter, that's when the hygienist is using the ultrasonic handpiece. That's for everything the doctor does with, you know, um, a handpiece pretty much, long period of surgery, complicated oral surgery, and then you sort of go down the chain from that. So if a hygienist is not using the ultrasonic, then probably she or he could use a level two mask for a you know, routine, more or less a routine hand scaling, you know, cleaning. Right. Level one masks are ideal if for dry procedures like a hygiene check, a new patient exam, a post-op exam, or, or orthodontic procedures where there's no proceed, uh, spray and splatter, for example. So that's where we learn to discriminate because a lot of offices really just make it easy and say, we're just going to have all level three. And that works great because then you don't have, it's a no-brainer. You just right. put one mask and you don't worry, do I need the pink one for this one and the yellow one for that mask? You don't have to think about it. Right. But unfortunately, because of the shortage that we've seen, now we have to think about it. And many offices are caught off guard because we've forgotten that detail. Yes. And what we've learned about this COVID-19 virus is that the particles that, of the virus are the virus, um, I guess I'll use the word particles for lack of a better word right now, yeah. are smaller than the pores on our mask. So that means that the mask is really inefficient for filtering them out if someone comes in and is active, uh, has an active case, even if they're undiagnosed, you can right. be asymptomatic and be contagious. So that's an act that's just not an accurate, uh, effective mask to be wearing. So therefore, that leads us to only having this N95 respirator type mask that requires some fit testing. And I've been looking at some things here this morning. So um, just to kind of bring up a couple things real sure. quick. Um, 
the fit testing means that it has to it has to fit around your face, you know, your nose, your cheeks, your chin, really tight, tight, and so that no air can go in and out, and you're breathing strictly through this mask. And I've talked to individuals. They would take sugar water and they would um, spray it on the mask. And if you couldn't breathe it in or, you know, taste it, then you knew that it was working fine. So it's very, you know, and that's the next level up. And of course, after that, you're having respirators and head gear and everything that we see right. on the news now, but, you know, with the white the healthcare workers in the white bubble suits. So that's where we need to be very cautious because if the office is staying open and they're not seeing elective care, but they're seeing emergencies, then how do we define emergencies? Right. Um, I love I love what Dr. Paul Goodman said earlier this week when I was speaking with him, and he mentioned the fact that when he was in his residency a while back, this has probably been 15 years ago, but still it's very relevant today that you have to understand the difference between an urgent situation and an emergency. Right. A true dental emergency is someone that has facial swelling, they're in jeopardy of um, the voice, of the voice. Um, sorry, uh, <laughs> just lost my, they're in danger of their airway being closed off. Right. And so, you know, that's, that's life-threatening and that is an emergency. And at that point, they probably need to be in an ER and getting IV antibiotics. So in our world, you know, it's an emergency to the patient when their crown comes off, especially if it's a, an anterior crown or, or it's an emergency because they want right. to have their teeth bleached before this wedding. Um, so this, the emergencies are different levels. We have, so hopefully your doctors will um, exercise, you know, caution and good judgment in deciding about and that. There is, and, and there is like, if that crown comes off, there are ways to treat it without promoting any aerosols for the mm -hmm. time being, you know, with mm -hmm. some temp cement, you know, using hand instrumentation just to remove the excess cement, just to get them by over this hump that we're in. And, you know, yes, I, you know, an anterior crown would be an emergency to a patient, but it's not a true dental emergency. Exactly. And another thing, you know, we were talking about earlier before we started was that what's happening I see in my area is that the practices that are closed are now getting calls. Patients are calling other dental offices to see who are open. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you should not be seeing a patient that is not actively yours. That's my thought. That's my opinion. Mm -hmm. um, because you don't know that patient's history. You don't know that patient and your dentist or their dentist should actively come in and see them if it's, and call them and, and guide them if it's a true dental emergency. You just that, close off and forget about your patients. <laughs> no, we don't, we don't want to abandon any patients. That could yes. be an issue with the Board of Dentistry at some point, uh, potentially. But and yeah. your point is so valid from the risk management perspective, Julie. If uh, you're, let's just say, let's say, so your office, for example, you know, the offices down the street are closed and your doctor happens to be open and they're calling him. Uh, they, if they have to come in and have a new patient exam before you can do any, any mm -hmm. diagnosing. And so now we're in a whole different realm of like bringing someone in that we don't know who they are. We don't know who they've been around. Right. Got to do, got to do the whole pre-screening process and hope the patient doesn't lie to us. If you can say that. Right. And um, make sure that they haven't been around anybody. It's, it's too, it's too risky. And I, and I feel bad that they are in pain or they have these issues, but we can't take the risk of our dental office population and our active patients that are normal and we know and, and stuff like that. I just don't feel like you could take the risk and, and just refer them to their, you don't want to funnel them to the ER, but I would just say, keep calling your dentist till they respond, you know? Exactly. Exactly. So in light of you know, using the N95 masks, which are not available. And actually we probably should not use so that they can be used for people that really actually need them right now, like the hospitals mm -hmm. and the testing sites for all this. What can we as dental assistants do 
Um, if we are still at the office, we're not seeing patients, what are some things that we should be doing to better help serve our dental community and ourselves in the future with maintenance on OSHA, bloodborne pathogen, infection control, and all that stuff? If we are at the office, our boss says, hey, you guys can come in, it's time to clean, spring clean. What are some things you suggest that we as dental assistants look at to make sure that we are doing the safest practices? Oh, Julie, I have a couple of hot topics. This is a good question. First and foremost, go through and be sure that you have every single set of operating directions or instructions from use for every piece of equipment in your practice. Your lasers, your intraoral cameras, your ultrasonic solution, you know, ultrasonic devices, sterilization, all your sterilizers. Assemble all those if you don't have them. If you've had the equipment a long time and you don't know where they are, download them electronically, at least have them where they're nearby because that is a guiding force for how we're supposed to clean and disinfect and care for those equipment. That's one thing that most offices are lacking. And second, take time to look at all your instruments that are sterilized. Look at them and go through your drawers and your cabinets. Were they really sterilized properly? If they weren't folded perfectly on the seal, you know, the bag, for example, and mm -hmm. they're folded cockeyed or halfway over, then they really aren't sterile. And also, we should be now dating and labeling those, and most of us aren't yet. We haven't have been all. all yes, I just I just saw that there was in a form I was in. The assistant said, "Oh, I'm cleaning," but they had all these instruments that were out packaged next to the autoclave, and none of them were dated. Oh, now yeah, I hate. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes I hate to be the person in forums that picks out the wrong, so I don't mm -hmm. say anything until someone else chimes in, um, mm -hmm. because I don't I don't want to cause you know. But I. I did say yes, it is per CDC guidelines that everything should be dated, cycle loads, date, and stuff like that. And none of those, and they had the packaging they were using on the fold over sticky tab, whatever you want to call it. Um, it had a line by the manufacturer to date it. We mm -hmm. need to be using those. And there's one brand of bags, and I think it might be the Assure bag. Is that the one from Densefly? One of the bags manufacturers. When you peel it off before you fold it and stick it, the peel off piece has the information on it. And you can just fill that out and you stick it inside the bag and there it is readily available. So, okay. if, they have not, so if they have not been doing that, let's say this, it's not that I'm telling them to go back and open up everything and re-sterilize, but I'm suggesting that one, you look at what's not sealed properly and then re-sterilize and label. Yes. Two, look at your drawers and your, and your cabinet, especially the drawers, because that's an area where we tend to throw the things that were sterilized right in the front and everything in the back, half of the drawer, has been sitting there for a couple of years. Yes. So develop a system now where you can rotate your stock. And if it, your doctor doesn't do, say, extractions very often, you've got all these elevators and forceps and, you know, everything that's just all stuck, disarrayed. Organize that now so that you have a system and work together as a team so that way everybody's on board with the system and can help maintain it and make it easy. Yes, def definitely. You know, cleaning cleaning house or cleaning dental offices is, is. What else could they do with their manual that technically you see a lot in the offices that they don't do with it? Uh, one thing they don't typically do is read the policies and procedures very thoroughly. So mm -hmm. this would be a great time to sit down and read the bloodborne pathogens exposure control plan. Make sure there's no changes. Um, create a one sheet page on the front, if you will, to write down the date it was reviewed and if any updates are made it made into that and read your hazard communication plan. Make sure your safety data sheet is up to date. Pardon me, your safety data sheet manual is up to date. 
that's an area that now, you know, we've been using safety data sheets since 2012, 2013. Right. And like, I'll say the old days, that when we had an MSDS binder, that binder was just a mess. Every office that I went into, Julie, had a nice, big, thick, three-inch black binder that the guts of it were just spewing out everywhere because right. no one had time and just stuck things everywhere. So perhaps by now, the safety data sheet manual might need a little uh, updating and refreshing and organizing. Another perfect thing to do. So with those safety data sheets, we go through, one, you should have the binder keep only your current ones that you have products, right? And That's the right. other ones we have to keep for 30 years. Is that true? That's correct. Just kind of pull out the inactive ones, put them in a spot where you can put them in the back of the cabinet or up in the shelf in the storage area or something just in case you never need them. Yes. And what is your take, and I've seen this before on forums, on expired product? What do you do with the expired product besides remove the SDS sheet and throw the product out? That's what I would do. But some offices tend to use expired product. No, I, I would not use expired product just because I think it's a good risk management standard. I know oftentimes a doctor will say, you know, it's really, it's like it's when you buy food in the grocery store and they have the best use by date. Yes. That's for the public safety. Maybe you really could drink that milk a little later or open that can a little later. But I have a daughter that worked in the food banking industry for, for quite some time. And of course, if they had donations, they were very strict about that. So she's kind of got me on that guideline. You know, don't use anything after those dates. If we had to an emergency, that would be a different situation with food. But certainly in a healthcare setting, you know, that right. you restoration, don't know. we don't know. The restoration could fail. There could be some other situation. So I would start pulling that out and looking at the expiration dates and disposing of those as well. And how often do you recommend that a dental assistant is in their clinical area and they have these operatories that they're responsible for that they go through and make sure that things are where where they are supposed to be whether they're product in product out they're checking mm -hmm. expiration dates they're checking sterilization dates they're they're thoroughly how often do you recommend that we do this besides in the event of a catastrophe and now we haven't <laughs> done it in five years and so we're, we're all scrambling to do this and it happens, but now that we can be more aware, what is the recommended standard that you put into place when you go into offices that says, okay, this is what I'm recommending your assistants do? And I think everybody should be responsible for a clinical area. You know, I have a hygienist, Sarah, she's awesome. She has her own operatory. This is her responsibility, and but we all come together. And I have two operatories I'm responsible for. So with Kim, these are my operatories. So what should we, how often should we be doing that? You know, I think that's um, kind of an informal standard based on each office, but it, however, it's a very good question. So I would say that when you're restocking anything, that's the time to just make it a habit and kind of get in the habit of doing that. Just like we get up in the morning, we brush our teeth, we might, we should be flossing, but at least we're flossing at night. Whatever your routine is, put it into your routine so the workflow goes easy, Julie. I'm all about adding in things, you know, that flow into your routine and not making a lot of extra work. So when you're restocking, that's the perfect time to say, okay, what are the expiration dates on here that I'm restocking? Where am I? How do my, how do my drawers look? You know, what's outdated? How do the bags look? Because if you're rotating your instruments mm -hmm. and dating them, then that's going to be a no-brainer. You just have a system where you put the, the ones that just came out of the autoclave, go to the back of the drawer. And um, then it's easy to keep up with at that point. Now, often I, I have gone into offices, and I always wondered what your take was on this. And drawers open and people keeping things like cotton rolls, gauzes, um, not in their original packaging, in like a container holder, sometimes just in a drawer. 
what do you recommend for best practices? Obviously, when you go into a drawer, you should unglove, wash your hands, pull it out, then re wash your hands again, re-glove. That's what I recommend. But what are you seeing that could help better for those airborne particles that people are keeping exposed cotton rolls or gauze or things that should be kind of kept packaged? Well, one of the things that's one of my big pet peeves is what's behind the head of the patient, what's on that counter behind the patient. Yeah, you know, right. Not just what they brought in. So anything back there that is open needs to be definitely closed in a heartbeat. And I oftentimes will tell dental assistants, it's like, you know, if you need something, if you've dropped something or you need to get something different, the burr breaks, the doctor really needs to stop that handpiece for that 30 or 60 seconds. Right. That doesn't, that doesn't help eliminate whatever's suspended in the air right now, but at least it's not adding more to it because if you need to open a drawer, and suppose you have um, an overglove or whatever you're using to open the door or cotton pliers or you're using a paper towel to open the door and then you cut cotton pliers to go in. Whatever technique they're, they're using is aseptic. But anytime you open a drawer or a closed container behind the head of the patient, there's a risk that there could be particles, you know, airborne particles Falling. that can settle into that. How high is the risk? I don't know. But at least if we can keep things as close as possible and everything behind mm -hmm. the head of the patient as minimized as possible, I remember seeing things a long, long time ago, you know, from the olden days, pre-gloves, masks, and glasses, when you walk into an older doctor's practice, and they had that wonderful bracket tray in the front of the patient, kind of the round one, yes. and they, had, they would have stacks of uh, tray covers there, and everything would be sitting on top of that. The copoli, the cotton pellets, you know, all the little, everything would be sitting there. Mm -hmm. And I'll never forget this one dentist when I watched him take that top uh, uh, tray and getting ready for the next patient, cleaning up himself, because he was, back then you could say a one-girl office, uh, and then he would take that and turn it over to use it again, and this the copolite stain was going all the way through every tray cover, so it was just, it was just nasty Oh, and looking. copolite is such a nasty smell. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, you can imagine how the office smells. So, what they, didn't, what they didn't know back then, and what we didn't know, and so it just kind of reiterates the point of having fewer things out on the counter, because I've seen some research, and I forget who... Um, Densify quoted in, in one of their product uh, packet um, promotional pieces that they have, and I forget, so I forget who the research was done by, but spraying splatter is like eight to 10 feet out from the head of a patient. Mm -hmm. So that's pretty much like from wall to wall in a dental operatory. You know, some operatories are a little larger, but most of them not. Some are definitely smaller, depending on the, the age of the practice. Um, so we have to be careful everywhere in that, in that operatory. And oftentimes when I go in to teach dental assistants about calibrating with their doctor, this is probably now a good time to go through your procedures because I'm not a big, big um, believer that we should be leaving chairside because one, it's a time devity, you know, like you leave chairside, it's two to three minutes because you have to go get something. So I'm a big believer that now is a time for you to sit down with your doctor and calibrate and go through all those procedures of how he likes things done, what instruments need to be out, and walk through so that you are never one opening drawers, going in and getting something, that you're never leaving chairside so that you can get through that procedure and you can maintain the infection control process. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. because every time we have to unglove, wash your hands, da da da, a procedure that took three, you know, 30 minutes could take 60 minutes because you had to leave 10 times and that's 30 more minutes in the because you forgot the articulating paper or you forgot this or you forgot that you can't be, you know, so it's a good time to sit and calibrate 
um, mm-hmm. with your doctor procedure by procedure, what bird they like, what instrument they're going to like mm-hmm. next, how many cotton rolls do they want through that procedure. And you know, I, I, on top of that, I, you reminded me of a dentist that I knew from quite some time ago. He's retired now, but he had very specific layouts of how he wanted. So each procedure had everything listed and it was probably in a little check. It was actually a checklist, mm-hmm. you know, yep. like, and it was in a sheet protector. So he could check it off, have it there in the operatory if he wanted, and it can mm-hmm. be wiped down. And if they didn't have everything down and he needed something, that didn't count against the dental assistant. If there was something that he wanted that wasn't on that list, like something changed during the procedure, he adapted. But if there was something on that list that they didn't have, they got written up with a NOPE, N-O-P-E, Notice of Procedure Error. Oh, I love that. Love so that. Nope. <laughs> Don't a be nope. a NOPE. <laughs> nope. You didn't do that right. Nope. You know, I um, have a manual that it's, it's a calibration that goes 30, 60 and 90 days of, you know, procedures and stuff like that. And I am a big believer that you should, you know, take pictures and laminate and hang them, Mm -hmm. you know, because Mm -hmm. the lamination can be easily wiped. It's a smooth service, um, just not paper and taped up inside a cupboard, but you know, Mm -hmm. on a, on a ring and stuff like that. So these are all things that we can effectively, because most dental assistants in not all, but are thrown chair side. Mm-hmm. And an office doesn't walk them through their infection control or OSHA processes. So, what is the time frame? And I, I want our, our listeners to hear this: that when you start a new job, what do you suggest that they first do on the infection control and OSHA side for a dental assistant to, so that they're properly knowing what's going on in their in this new dental practice? So, you take your bad habits and you throw them out of the side you come with a clean slate mind to this practice and they're going to teach you your ways. What do you recommend? Oh, Julie, this is a hot topic for me because first I want to share with you that last May there was a class action lawsuit filed in Virginia against a pediatric dental office for hiring, allegedly hiring unlicensed and untrained dental assistants, interns, and other employees to to handle sterilization. So that's, that concerned me because that could set a precedent in our industry that we better have the training up front, which is exactly what you're asking me. When mm-hmm. someone walks into the dental office, each office needs to have something ready to help that dental assistant and the hygienist as well mm-hmm. to know what the kind of the rules and the roads of the, you know, what's the, what are the ropes in this practice, so to speak. So when they first start a new job, there are specific OSHA forms that they should be filling out and the OSHA coordinator or office manager should present them those forms. And right. that's the hepatitis B vaccination, the dental assistant should be allowed to have time to read all the office manuals. Maybe you don't read everything 100% memorize it for a test. That's fine. But at right. least understand, here's our OSHA book. Here's where everything is. I've read the exposure control plan. Uh, I've read my HR policies. I read my HIPAA policies. So you know what you're obligated to do. So you can't really, you shouldn't be saying, I didn't know that. You should be trained on this. So we don't have a formal training process in most dental practices, you know, I have an older daughter who's a nurse. And when she got out of nursing school, she had a preceptor in the hospital for two weeks. She followed this person around. Right. And when you, when you get started in a dental practice, whether any clinical role, hygienist or assistant, you're just thrown right in. Here's your schedule. Here, go get set up. First patient's at 830 tomorrow. Right. And it's like, okay, you have to dive right in. Which I think is a, just a big no-no because you're not setting them up for success. You're setting exactly. them up for failure. You're setting them up to struggle. Whether you're the hygienist, the front office person, or the assistant, you're setting up these people to be thrown into something, uncharted territories, unwaters mm-hmm. they don't know. Mm-hmm. And then what happens is these assistants, their doctor gets frustrated with them because they haven't properly onboarded them. Exactly. And that's onboarding. where they start- 
they, yeah, they start cutting corners. They don't know, and they could be a great assistant, but they came from a practice that didn't have the best infection control processes. And Mm -hmm. they don't, you know, yes, as a dental assistant, it should be our responsibility to know, but they should be walked through the processes of every office so that they know right from wrong. And on top of that, if you have all your menu, all your operating instructions, instructions for use handy, now you have something to show a new hire. Here's what we do here. You know, we can't, none of us, I don't care how seasoned we are or anything, we can't rely on what we just learned in school. And occasionally, you know, you can come out of a school and, you know, dental assisting education varies from state to state. Some, and some states, you know, they're right off the, they can be trained right off the job, on the job with little to no background and others six weeks, 12 months, you know, depends on the program. So we need to have time to onboard somebody to make sure that we can't just assume that we all learn the same thing in school. Because what I learned years ago is not nearly, is not even valid today. Right. Even for our oldest elderly dental assistants like myself, (laughs) there are things change. And I have gone into several practices where there's an older generation of dental assistants. And the the thing is you get, I've always done it this way. Mm -hmm. It's always been done this way. And And it breaks my heart for me to tell them being the younger one, even if it's only five, 10 years or whatever, it's not okay. It can't be done this way any longer. Yeah. Well, I practiced when there was no gloves or mask or goggles. I'm fine. You know, it's, I understand that, but it's still things have changed and we have to evolve. And my biggest thing is, is when you onboard dental assistants that have no, which is fine. I was trained on the job, but then get the continuing on. You have to have a plan for success for those dental assistants mm-hmm. that you're hiring off the job for the infection control. You can teach them to pass. That's okay. You can teach them about products, but the infection control part of me is that's the most important stuff, the radiology and the infection control. And how is your Mm -hmm. office doing that? And also I find it frustrating for a dentist that gets frustrated with assistant. They could be an awesome assistant, but then they get frustrated because they don't know their processes. Well, you didn't take the time with that Mm -hmm. assistant to help them learn your process. You just threw them chair side. And even myself as a dental assistant of X, Y, and Z years, 28 years, if I go to a new dentist, I'm not going to know how they like things. You just can't expect me to wing it. You know, you have to take time and show me. Here's a perfect example in the medical world. I work with some ambulatory surgery centers and each time they bring on a different surgeon, it doesn't matter whether it's an ophthalmologist or an orthopedic surgeon, mm-hmm. they want that surgeon's preference cards. They need to know what instruments that surgeon likes. They need to prepare. So they're going all through that. And if it's a new specialty, they're going to be adding, you know, multiple cases and multiple surgeons in that specialty, say GI or ophthalmology, then they need to make sure that they go get training. They want to hire, if they need to hire, they, they're looking for nurses and circulators and techs that have ophthalmology experience. So so yes, we are specialized in dentistry, and that's not the exact point that I was making, but the point is they just want to know what the instruments are and what the techs are and what's requirement on that. All right, so now with everything in lighting, how about we have you give us five things a dental assistant should do for their practices when they either reopen, over this hump, whatever you want to say that can help better their infection control processes, maybe make the team aware of things that are you know need to be upkept, Um, So name five things that you recommend that the dental assistant and their team do right now in lieu of all this. Perfect. Number one is join OSAP, the Organization for Safety, Asepsis, and Prevention. We didn't speak about them, but they're the global leaders. It's a membership organization. And I'm going to give them a, I'm going to give you the code that I've been giving my clients, Julie. Okay. Very simple, but you can post it later. It's Linda, all caps, L-I-N-D-A, 50, 50% off. 
So Great. Linda, capital L-I, all caps, Linda, all caps, 50. And they join in the first year is like $60. If they don't yes. want to pay out of their own pocket, see if their boss will join. Now okay. you start getting newsletters. So that's number one item is to get up-to-date information. Number two, we talked about going in and making sure that you have all your instructions for use in one place. If they're going to be digitized, that you know what computer they're on, if they're on the server, where they're going to live. And then look at your supplies, checking your rotation to make sure that you uh, don't have old supplies. In the, um, I'm talking about sterilized instruments, actually, your instruments yeah. and supplies, that the bags aren't torn and ripped and that they've been folded properly. And if they look like they've been sterilized for a couple of years, then they probably need to be re-sterilized for crying out loud. And then start labeling and dating them. The fourth thing was to go through and look at your OSHA book now and your OSHA manual and determining if your exposure control plan is up to date. Even if you're not in charge of these items, if you're not the OSHA coordinator, you still need to know what's in the OSHA policies and procedures. And then also we talked about managing the safety data sheet binder. I'm going to add a sixth thing, Julie, and that is many states, um, the, their State Dental Practice Act has added and adopted in its entirety the CDC guidelines for dentistry. So if you're in a state like Georgia, South Carolina, Arizona, I think Pennsylvania, Connecticut, a number of states where that's happened, then yes. you better be familiar with those. Even okay. if you're not in that state, you still need to be familiar with them because that is what's called the standard of care. And when doctor says to you or to you or, or to me and you as a, as a a consultant or to the team, what's, right. what do I have to do and what's the nice to do? Well, there is no nice to do anymore. And that's a very clear cut thing now with this COVID-19. Anything that we thought was nice to do in the CDC guidelines, we better be doing, you know, period. Right. Absolutely. So to learn more about you and your program, so tell us um, three, three of the programs that you have, where can they find information about how they can learn more through your company, Linda? Well, one easy way to connect Julie these days is on Facebook. We have two Facebook groups. We have the Institute for Dental Compliance and Risk Management page. Great. And then we also have a newer page called the Optimal Dental Team. So we'll be having some different content and different things on each one of those. Um, the Optimal Dental Team is a closed membership. There's no fee to get into that group, but just it is a closed group. The other one is the public group. So they can start with either one of those to connect with us and get information. I know they're connecting on your groups as well, but it's just important that right. we, we go to the sources. So anytime they're learning something new and hearing anything to go back and cite the sources. And that's one thing I love about partnering with you because we both go back and go, what does the CDC say? What does OSHA say? Who said this? Where does the information come from? So we're not just giving opinion, but we're giving the fact behind it. Yes. And I always believe her, the more you know, the more you grow. Um, so I think the dental assistant, there's so much more we can do, not just be a dental assistant, but there's so much more we can do to better help our practices, serve our patients, serve our team. And by just investing more into ourselves through your company, through OSAP, through DMB, the Dale Foundation, wherever, we can never know too much, you know? True. True. We've got, we've got a lot of lemons going on now and you're our <laughs> lemonade queen. And so we're turning this into a growth opportunity and we're all going to move yes. forward and be stronger and better professionals as a result of it. Yes. Well, we thank you, Linda, for your time today and to all the amazing dental assistants out there. Stay amazing. Um, if you have any questions or concerns, feel free to reach out to Linda or myself and we hope you have a fabulous day. Thank you so much, Linda, for being on the show. Jules, you're a rock star, as always. You guys, uh, this is the one time where we can take advantage of social media and um, podcast and continued education. 
So we urge you to go out there and do that. Take it to better yourself. It will really help keep you guys from a dark place if you're constantly motivated and you have a schedule of things that you want to accomplish uh, during this time where you have limited or reduced hours in the practice. Uh, and as always, DA Rockstars, Instagram, Facebook, Dental Assistance Rock, Instagram, Facebook, or the website and find your tribe. Dental Assistance Worldwide Group is a safe place for us. But until next week, keep on suctioning.